uh, were thinking about the words that you just sang. We just sang some words that said, wherever you've been, whatever you have done, come as you are, come into his welcoming and loving arms. And this is the kind of people that we want to be. This is the kind of truth that we want to embrace in our own lives. And so I want to say good morning again. I'm thankful that you're here. Um, no matter what storm or experience you are having at this particular moment in life, Jesus is Lord of all, as we sang earlier in our service. And in, in his presence, weak people are made strong, poor are made rich, sinners become saints. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I want to I welcome you. I'm so thankful that you're here. I pray that, that today is an encouraging time for you as we head into a new week. I do want to just make one uh, encouragement to pick up a bulletin and to look over that. There are lots of prayer requests we want you to be praying about. There are also some really important announcements. A couple of things I just want to touch on. There's a, a youth devo for our student ministry tonight happening at the Burleson's house. And we want all of our teens to come to that and be a part of that. Uh, also, this Wednesday night begins uh, Grief Share, our new session of Grief Share, right, Leanna? Is that right? And so I want, if you know anyone that wants to be a part, that would benefit from being a part of Grief Share, you want to be a part of that. We want uh, that to happen. We want you to be aware of that. You can see Hollis or Leanna Baldwin about that if you have questions about that. But the, a new session of that starting Wednesday. Uh, that's been a great ministry for us and, and an opportunity to reach into our community uh, to encourage people and to help people know that they're not alone. Uh, there are some people who have come, uh, returned to kind of continue to go through multiple sessions of that. And so uh, I promise that it would be a blessing to you if you or someone you know wants to be a part of that. The other thing I want to mention is um, next Sunday, after a several-year hiatus, we are having a church potluck. And we're going to have a couple of church meals uh, there's another Mexico fundraiser meal that's going to happen the first Sunday in March. So over the next couple of months, we're going to have a couple of meals. And I know some of you are thinking, like, I don't want to stay and go to a potluck. And I also know that classes are after worship. So we're really going to, you know, kind of you know, have the opportunity to kind of see who the most spiritual among us are <laughs> who stay for class and stay for a meal afterwards, uh, bring something, plan to stay, I promise it will do your heart and spirit good to encourage and fellowship each other and other people. Uh, if you know that's not kind of not your thing, then do it for somebody else because they may need the encouragement that you provide. So bring food for enough food for your family to eat, and we'll put that all out there in the in the gym next Sunday and uh, share a meal together. And I hope that we'll have a good crowd to be a part of that. So I want to start this morning with an old story uh, about a cattle rancher. Uh, a cattle rancher who was told that uh, a young cowhand that had been working for him was caught in the act of stealing one of his cows. And when the thief was dragged before the rancher, he looked down at the frightened young man and he said, hang him. Nothing personal, son. I like you a lot, but you understand we have rules around here. Besides, it will teach you a lesson. Well, as the story goes, sometime later, this old rancher dies, and he appears before God. And as he stood there, he remembers all the mean and horrible things he had ever done over the course of his life. And he stands there realizing his situation, he's trembling in his boots when God looks down upon him in mercy and tenderness and says, forgive him, it'll teach him a lesson. And I tell you that story this morning because the truth is that God wants us to learn 
about mercy, not after we die. God wants us to learn about mercy right now. And that's what this series that we're in is about. We're looking at one of the great verses in the Bible, Micah 6, 8, where Micah, speaking on behalf of God, speaks to the people of Israel, and he says these words. He says, he's shown you, God has shown you, O mortal people, humans, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here it is. This is what the Lord requires, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Those three things are what Micah boils it all down to when he's, he's, he's looking at the grand options available to him to tell the people what exactly it is that God requires of them. These are the things that he says, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so each week in this series, I did kind of an intro sermon. Last week we talked about acting justly. Today we're going to spend some time thinking about mercy and loving mercy. And I want to start by thinking about that word, mercy. That, that word that Micah uses is the Hebrew word, hesed. And hesed is a really fun Hebrew word. It's, it's a great Hebrew word. And when you say it, you need to have like a little bit of a, like a rough sound in your throat. You need to have like, I hope this won't gross anybody out, but you need to have like a little bit of phlegm kind of back in the back of your, that's actually how a Hebrew would have, they would have said hesed, like at least kind of like a coughing something up. So I want you to practice your Hebrew this morning and look to the person next to you without spitting on them and say the word hesed. Okay, ready? One, two, three. There you go. You're, you're all fluent in Hebrew now. When you say this word, it, it, it's, it's fun to say, but it has a rich and profound idea that it carries with it. it gets, it's a hard word to translate, actually. It gets translated when you look at en your English translation of your Bible. If the word is hesed, it may show up as sometimes getting translated as love or kindness or loving kindness or faithfulness. But it also gets translated as mercy, which it does here in Micah 6, 8. And really all of those ideas, love and loving kindness and faithfulness and mercy, they all are helpful in thinking about how to describe hesed because it's a hard word to define. And it's kind of all of those things, actually, in one way or another. But the main thing that I want you to know about hesed this morning is, is really two things. It has a vertical component to it between us and God, and it has a horizontal component to it between us and other people. And, and, and so this vertical component, you know, again, has to do with our relationship with God, the covenant that we have with God, the covenant that Israel had with God, and also the horizontal piece, the, the relationship and the covenant we have toward other people. Jesus calls this loving God and loving your neighbor in the New Testament. And you'll see these two components, this vertical and horizontal component, play out, I hope, as we look at the idea of mercy this morning. So I want to Knowing that kind of what the word means and knowing that there's this sort of multidimensional uh, kind of component to this word, I want to start with this. Loving mercy, what Micah says, is one of the things that God requires of us. Loving mercy begins with knowing it yourself. If you're going to love mercy, you have to know mercy yourself. And as I told in the story about the old rancher, part of knowing it yourself is understanding that you have received it. Right? 
Because you can't give away in abundance something that you don't know that you've received yourself. If one of my kids came to me and asked for $5 and I don't have $5, I can't give them $5. And we understand this with an idea like that. But sometimes when it comes to something like that's not you know, tangible, like mercy, it's this idea, we maybe forget that. There's a story in Luke chapter 7, I think, that illustrates this point really well, if you want to turn there. In the story in Luke 7, Jesus, I'm going to set it up for us a little bit. Jesus is eating a dinner with a Pharisee named Simon. It's, interestingly enough, this is not Simon Peter, which we know. This is not Simon the Cyrene, which James talked about in his uh, med- communion meditation. Uh, and I could just sit down, by the way, after that, James. Thanks, thanks a lot for setting me up like that. It was great, giving us this picture of this crucifixion scene. Um, it's not either one of those Simons. It's a, another, it's a common name, and so it's a Pharisee. His name is also Simon. So Jesus has been invited over to Simon the Pharisee's house. They're having dinner. His disciples are there. And while they're eating dinner, understand in homes of that day, maybe there would have been doors that would have been open. It would have been easy to get in and out of the house, more accessible than, you know, than our homes where we close the door and we kind of shut ourselves in. There might have been something, you know, people might have been passing outside and, and things might have been, what was going on inside might have been more visible. Or, or it could be that someone just walks in. And so in this situation, Jesus and the disciples are eating with this Pharisee named Simon. And while they're eating, a woman, a woman that is a prostitute, comes in and she sees Jesus And she bows down at his feet, and she begins weeping. And she is crying so much, Luke tells us, that her tears begin to wet Jesus' feet, which is significant, of course, because they were all wearing sandals, and so everybody's feet were dirty. And so she does the thing as she's, you know, bowing over his feet, and her tears are streaming down her face, and she's seeing that they are making his feet wet. There are so many tears she does the next thing that she thinks of. She thinks, oh, no, I need, to, I need to wash these tears off. And so she doesn't have a towel. And so she uses her hair. Just picture Jesus' feet, dirty and dusty from walking around all day. This is dinner. It's the end of the day. And now all that dirt and dust is caked into her hair. And then... She gets out some perfume after she's done all of that and starts pouring it on Jesus' feet. So Simon, the Pharisee, whose house they're eating dinner at, he's appalled by this. He thinks to himself, Jesus can't really be a prophet because if he was, he would know who is touching him and who this woman is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus, in doing one of those, this is one of those moments where we know Jesus is fully God. He knows the man's thoughts. He looks at this man and he understands, he sees the reaction, maybe his facial expressions or whatever, and he knows his thoughts and he tells him a story. And the story is what we're going to read, picking up in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. He said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon, and he says, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, and she goes on her way. As you listen to this story, I wonder who you most identify with. Simon the Pharisee, the woman who's a prostitute, one of the disciples maybe that's there looking on at this scene playing out. Because if you're like me, it's so easy to have these moments where we, we think like Simon the Pharisee, where we have this mindset like Simon, right? We think, well, I know I'm a pretty good person. I mean, look at all the do- that I'm doing for the Lord. Look at all that I'm doing for my family. I'm, I'm at least better than average, right, God? I give, I show up for church occasionally. I'm not like the prostitute, certainly. When we think like Simon, we look around at people and we think, I'm not giving them mercy because they've mistreated me or they've turned their back on me or they've hurt me or they've sinned against me in some way. Simon forgot how far he'd come in life by God's mercy. Simon had the curse of thinking that he was more righteous than the prostitute. The prostitute, on the other hand, was very aware. She understood very well how she was viewed by people. She knew that she was at the bottom rung of everybody's respectability. She knows that she has a lot for which to be forgiven. So when Jesus gives her forgiveness, Luke tells us that when she experiences the mercy of God, he says that she's overwhelmed and she's filled with love as her great love has shown, Jesus says. I would summarize this story by By saying this, maybe, your capacity to love and show mercy and to love mercy will be directly proportionate to the degree that you think you need mercy. Our capacity to love and show mercy to other people will be directly proportionate and directly connected to the degree that we understand and think that we also need it. If you think you need mercy a little, then you're unlikely to be a lover of God and a lover of mercy. And when we have this mindset, it's guaranteed, I think, like Simon, to compromise the amount of compassion that we can have for people, the amount of love that we can have for people, because we can only give away something that we understand that we've received already. And the truth is, all of us, all of us have received God's love and God's mercy in abundance, right? This is the vertical piece of Hesed that God has poured out his love and his mercy and his compassion upon us. And it's only when we realize, church, that we are in the position of the prostitute. We are in need of mercy and the mercy of Christ as much as anyone has ever needed it. And only then, when we understand and believe that, can we be filled with, like her, this profound love for God and this profound appreciation for God's mercy, which I think ultimately leads to the biggest challenge with mercy. And with loving mercy is that we live in a world, we live in a world where things are earned and everything in our world goes against the practice of mercy. We live in a world where things are earned, where most of the time people are judged based upon their performance. If you're in school, you get grades, 
because you earned them. Right? If you're on, if you're in the school band, you get the first chair because of merit, not mercy. You make the team because of your performance. When you go to work, how are you judged? By your competition, by your supervisor, whoever it may be, based on how much you sold, whether you hit your quota, how happy your clients were, and how well you did your job, right? Did you outperform the competition, right? This is the world that we live in. It's merit-based. It's performance-based. It may not always be this way, but maybe sometimes it's who you know or kind of, you know, a connection that you have on the side, but most often it is this way. How nice you were doesn't matter. How kind you were wasn't valued. How good of a student or a teen you might be isn't, isn't a factor that gets factored in. And interestingly enough, the Jewish faith is this way, right? There are these commandments in the Old Testament. And the way that ancient Israel saw this, these commandments is that how close they were to God depended upon their behavior, their performance, how many, how, what their, were their sacrifices good and acceptable to God. Their acts of worship. They understood all the Old Testament laws as God essentially saying, here's what you must do to show that you love me. They didn't understand it correctly, but this is what they understood. And so they would try to keep all the commandments, and they would never be able to keep all the commandments. Which is what makes Jesus so amazing. Which is what makes Jesus so radical, really. Because he enters this world, it's so controversial. He enters this world, this merit-based world that they lived in, that we live in. He entered this merit-based faith of Israel, and he was always talking about mercy. In his very first sermon that Matthew records, the Sermon on the Mount, one one of his opening lines in the, the greatest sermon ever preached is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But up to that point in history, no one was talking about mercy in a glowing way like that, like you would be blessed if you showed mercy to people. In the Roman world that Jesus lived in, that Jesus was a part of, showing mercy was a sign of weakness. The Roman world valued justice and giving mercy was seen as someone giving someone something that they did not earn. And so I want you to think about how radical it would have been, how controversial it would have been, why they would have wanted to kill Jesus. Because he came in saying, you've heard it was said, but that's not true. This is the way to be human. This is the way to live your life. This new kingdom that I'm establishing is not going to be like the Roman kingdom. It's not going to be like any kingdom that's going to come thousands of years, hundreds of years later. It won't be what have you done for God or what have you earned, which is merit, but what God has done for you, which is mercy. And and the most well-known story that Jesus tells that, that... communicates this idea perfectly is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And you know the story, many of you. It's a story where a man comes up to Jesus and he asks, these are my words, my paraphrase, he asks Jesus, what's the most important thing to God? Such an important question. What's the most important thing to God? And Jesus, after some kind of exchange with him, asks him, well, what do you think? And the man says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. But the guy that's asking the question in Luke 10, he's a lawyer. And like every good lawyer, he's looking for a loophole. And so he asks a follow-up question, which good lawyers do. 
And he says, okay, 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 I get it, but, but who is my neighbor exactly? In other words, I want you to think about the question that he asks this way. He says, who is my neighbor? It's, it's like he's saying, who merits or has earned or deserves my attention? Who, who merits or has earned or deserves my attention? And so then Jesus tells a story about a man that's walking down the road. And this man is attacked and he's beaten by some thieves. And he's left for dead in the ditch. And as Jesus tells this story, he tells it in this really profound way. He says that after this happens, this beating happens, and this man is left on the side of the road, two people walk by, two Jews, actually, a priest and a Levite. And Jesus, if we're just reading it quickly, we might miss that Jesus picks these people on purpose. A priest was a teacher at the temple. Every priest was a Levite, but every Levite wasn't a priest. But every Levite that wasn't a priest usually had a role in the temple. So it's like Jesus is saying, a preacher and a really involved church member walk by this man that's in the ditch. Two very spiritual people, very religious people. And they avoid the man that's been beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. But then, Jesus could have just ended the story. He could have had another Jew walk by, but he has a Samaritan walk by in this story that he's telling. A Samaritan would be like, and I, 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 this may not be the best example, but it's the best one I can come up with. I think it would be like making an illegal immigrant the hero of the story in our day. His very presence in the story would bother some of you. It would be offensive because he would have been viewed to them as a second-class citizen. A Samaritan would never be the hero of anybody's story. A second-class citizen at best, not a citizen at all at worst. And then Jesus asks this question after telling the story. This Samaritan who walks by and helps him, he looks the man in the eye and he says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's a setup, of course, right? There's only one correct answer to this question, and the lawyer gives the right answer. He says this. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What makes mercy so remarkable, so otherworldly, so kingdom of God-like, and not operating like the kingdoms we live in, so unbelievable is that it's not what do I have to do to earn something, but, th but it's this is what God has done for me. Did the man that got beat up and left for dead earn the care he received? Was he a good guy and deserving, therefore he received it? Did he work hardest out of everybody that was available that day to get beat up? Did he perform well enough? We don't know because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that mercy requires Doing. Mercy is a verb. Right? This is the horizontal piece of Hesed. I want you to notice that the one that proved to be a neighbor is the one who did something. Jesus says, go and do what you have just seen the man in this story do. And what we learn from this story, friends, is that you show, I show, that we love God by showing mercy to the people that you don't like. You show, you, you show that you love God by showing mercy to the people who have wronged you or offended you or hurt you or sinned against you in some way. The man is told to go and do. 
Barbara Brown Taylor, in her commentary on this story, raises some really good points. And I want to read this whole quote to you, kind of hear what she says about this story. She says, you may have noticed that it's not really an answer to the question the lawyer asks. The question he asks, Jesus doesn't give him an answer is what he's saying, the right answer. The question that the lawyer asks is, who is my neighbor? But the question that Jesus answers is, answers is whose neighbor are you? The answer is anyone's, everyone's. Jesus, I love this, I love this line. Jesus declines to limit the commandment of love and lets the lawyer decide how he will act upon it. Jesus declines to limit the commandment of love. There is no limit to the love that we are supposed to show, the mercy that we are supposed to show to people. But one thing is for sure, Jesus is calling him What Jesus is calling him to is not a leap of thought, a leap of understanding, or a leap of knowledge or emotion, but a leap of action, of showing mercy, of being a neighbor, of doing love. There are two things I want to point out about what she says here. Number one, when given the opportunity, I love this this idea that when, when given the opportunity, when Jesus is given the opportunity to limit how much love is shown and who it is shown to, Jesus does not take the bait. Some of us need to hear that this morning. When Jesus is given the opportunity, Jesus, I know they, they live this way. They don't do this. They, don't, they talk like this. They don't believe this. When Jesus is given an opportunity to, to limit the amount of love that we show to someone, Jesus doesn't take the bait. But what he says is, go and do likewise. Does that mean there won't be conversations that need to happen? There won't be relationships that need to be formed? It absolutely means those things. But it doesn't mean that we get to limit the amount of love and care and compassion and mercy that we show. The second thing is that Jesus gives us the capacity to choose or not choose what we'll do. But either way, it's very clear to Jesus that mercy is an action. And that Jesus is saying, whose neighbor are you going to be? I think this is the question that mercy asks us. Whose neighbor are you? And when our internal questions begin to swirl inside of us, questions like, but what if they don't deserve it? Jesus says, go and do likewise. But what if they didn't earn it? Jesus says, go and do likewise. But what if I don't want to do it? Jesus says, go and do likewise. But what if, Jesus, what if they don't agree with everything that I believe? What if they don't see my perspective? Go and do likewise. And we go and do likewise because we understand that we are the man in the ditch. And Jesus is the Samaritan that comes by, the unexpected traveler that was despised by people. And he stopped to pick us up and bandage our wounds. He put us on his donkey and he carried us into town and he paid for a place for us to stay. And he told the person who owned the inn that we stayed in, he said, I'm going to come back. And when I come back, whatever else that's still owed, I'll take care of that too. And so we give away freely because we have freely received. This is what it means to love mercy. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your profound and incredible mercy.
that we are all recipients of. And may this morning, Father, as we hear the words of Scripture, these stories come to life for us, that we, may we be reminded of just how good you've been to us, just how far by your mercy that we have all come. And may we be people who carry mercy into the world with us today and tomorrow and all the days that remain in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you took, it took care of us, that you, you saw fit to slow down enough in all of the, the business that you have of creating and running the universe. You, you saw it appropriate and necessary to come to earth and to pick us up and to take care of us, to save us, and to promise that you'll come back one day. We hold on to that promise today and in the days ahead, Father, as we continue to live as your people, walking as the mercy of God in the world. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Let's sing this song together.